Well, I'm due to give uh, birth to our first baby in about a week, and uh, there's a lot of things that are scary, obviously, about that. But one thing that you do think about is, um, as a husband and wife, you know, we've been on our own for six years, and and now we're going to be adding another member to the family. And um, while that's very exciting, and and we're anticipating it with great joy, at the same time, you know, you wonder, well, how is this going to affect our marriage relationship, and and uh, what changes is it going to bring about in our day-to-day lives? Well, that mom to be is thinking in the right direction because a new baby is going to change just about everything. That's the topic for today's Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. Thanks for joining us. I'm John Fuller. Hey, uh, today we do want to come alongside you and those expectant couples, the mom and the dad. Maybe it's your first child, second child, but it's all pretty new. And we want to give you some, uh, I think, great insight on how to take a deep breath relax and understand what's in front of you for the next, oh, 40, 50 years. (laughs) And I also want to say to the grandparents, hey, this is good for you to listen to as well because your life is changing too. And uh, I think there'll be some great wisdom in this discussion for you as well and some good things you can pass on to your adult children if they're not listening. Uh, You know, here at Focus, uh, we believe that the better prepared Uh, we are, the more likely we're going to be able to thrive in our parenting role. And the end game, the healthier spiritually, emotionally, in all ways, our children are going to be when we launch them at 18, 19 Mm -hmm. years old. And to talk about the topic, we've invited back one of our most popular guests, Dr. Gary Chapman, who always brings wisdom and warmth. And uh, today he's here to talk about his newest book, Things I Wish I'd Known Before We Became Parents. Gary, it's great, as always, to have you here at Focus. Welcome back. Well, thank you, Jim. It's good to be back. I just love your observation skills, what you've done throughout your life. The Lord's really given you some terrific insight, of course, with the love languages. Um, Many, many Christians are aware of that, and we'll work that into the discussion today. But um, you did this with a co-author, Shannon Morden, as well, and uh, you've got some years of experience, don't you, in the parenting role? How many kids do you have? Well, we have two children and two grandchildren. <laughs> there you go. You're doing yeah, both. Yeah, we're doing both. And the Shannon Warden, with whom I wrote this, is a long-term friend, and she has children still in the home. And that's why I invited <laughs> her to join me in this. And she's also teaches counseling at Wake Forest University in North Carolina, where I live. Oh, that's good. And I know she's busy as well. And uh, Gary, let's start uh, with you and Carolyn, when uh, you had that first child, um, were you ready for it? And what did you express in the book when that first baby like that woman in the opening said, he or she is on the way, what do we do now? You know, Carolyn had agreed or expressed the desire to uh, be a stay-at-home mom. And so I had the thought, okay, that's wonderful. All I have to do is just, you know, make the money and bring home the food. You know, she's going to be the mother and she'll take care of this baby. Right. (laughs) I had no idea that it was going to change my schedule. I thought, you know, she's going to be home. She doesn't have anything else to do. She just take care of this kid. <laughs> people out there. Mom's in prison right now. Oh, yeah. But you I know, know, I got to confess, I kind of had the same thought. <laughs> <laughs> I still have kids in the home, and uh, I, that was my impression. Yeah. You know, man, I'll go, I'll work out there slugging away hard all day, <laughs> and I'll come back, and of course, everything will be in order. Why does that cause such friction? It does, a child arriving in your home changes the dynamic of your household. Oh, it changes everything. You know. What are some of those ways that it changes? Well, you know, when the child was in the womb, 
you could go to the store to you know, <laughs> do all these things. It was much easier when the child was in the womb. She so could even do out, some jogging you know? and other stuff. Yeah. It's crazy. But, you know, it starts off with the fundamentals. you got to feed this kid, yeah. and it comes very regular. And then you got to take it out the other end, you know. <laughs> and that's regular, too. <laughs> and that's regular, too, you know. Uh, I remember uh, after I changed a few diapers, I said to Carolyn, I said, Honey, uh, how long do we have to do this? <laughs> when does the potty training come? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Please, quick, quick. I'll tell you, last night, we've got two foster kids with us, and one of them's not quite potty trained yet. Last night, at my age... I was changing a duty diaper. I'm <laughs> thinking, Good really, Lord? <laughs> really, Lord? <laughs> Good training. One day you'll have grandchildren. Yeah. You can do now, I'm going to tell you, genes change most of them. I'm not going to sound like I'm something special. But, uh, but it does change, and it, it puts pressure also on your relationship, doesn't it? Well, it does. And that's one of the things we discuss in the book is the fact that marriages do not operate on automatic. You know, you've got to do something. And uh, I think the first thing with the marriage is to resolve, both of you, look, we're going to keep our marriage alive. If God allowed us to be married and have children, there's time to do both. Right. We just got to figure it out. Oh, without you know, a doubt. How, how we're going to work it, but we're going to keep our marriage alive. And you got to work at it. You got to be intentional. Yeah. I, I would say that I'm not as intentional as I should be and have, you know, with our boys when they were younger, I was not as good. Um, there's someone on staff that here at Focus that really, John and Shelly Bethany, they would always carve out 15, 20 minutes when he would yeah. get home. And he would say to the kids, you know, go do something because this is mommy and daddy's time. Yeah. That's kind of what you're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Know? Maintain that conversation. It's not just, can you get the dishes done? Can you get the diapers cleared out? Let's, it yeah. can't revolve around the children. Yeah, you know, one of the things we did, of course, you know, in the early days with sleep, it's going to depend on the baby. Some babies sleep all night long. Our daughter slept 18 hours, I think, oh, in the early goodness. days, you know. Are you kidding me? But our son, <laughs> he thought sleep was a waste of time, you know. <laughs> he was awake all night long. Uh, so yeah. children are different, and that's one of the issues that we discuss. That children are different. You can't expect them to be the same. But once they get a little older and they get on the schedule, uh, we put our children to bed early, 7 o'clock. That bedtime. is early. Wow. Bedtime, yeah. you know. And that then, was selfish, I think, right? Yeah. And, and when they got to be six, we moved it back five minutes. <laughs> 7.05. And we moved it back five minutes right on up till they were 12. So 7.35 at 12, they're going to bed. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that gives time. If you get the yeah. children to bed early, it gives you time to have time together with each other. And now, that's important. I was dumb enough to move that in like half hour increments or hour <laughs> increments getting older. Why didn't I think in five minute increments? And, and, and now they're teens and they don't, they don't start to talk. <laughs> yeah, 10 o'clock. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, what about modeling that relationship? You know, so often, Gary, we um, forget how we project to our children as we interact as husband and wife communicates a lot to the kids. It communicates yeah. stability or instability, fear or contentment and, and yeah. safety. Uh, speak to that, um, how to be mindful of that, even when you're not feeling it towards your spouse. Yeah. I think the interaction between the husband and the wife are extremely important to the development of the child. I mean, you are their primary model. And if a child hears the, da the dad yelling and screaming at the mother or the mother doing the same toward him, the equilibrium of that child, the emotional equilibrium, is just off. Something's wrong here. It's that little children can tell that. Mm. So I think we have to learn how to process our differences in maybe a way we haven't already learned. If you haven't learned this before you have the child, it's not going to just happen. 
You have right. to learn how to talk rather than yell, how to listen, and how not to interrupt each other, and how to try to understand the other person rather than trying to get your point across, and looking for a solution rather than trying to win the argument. I mean, all of that can be learned. And I would say to parents, if you haven't learned that already, I'll take a class at your church, I'll go see a counselor, I'll read a book, I'll do something to learn how to process life with each other in a healthy way so you're giving a good model to the child. Were you there at 24, 25, or 30? How did you learn these principles and what kind of person was Gary Chapman back when you were uh, raising the little ones? You know, I wasn't there. I knew very, very little about raising children children when our first child came and the second child came four years later. But I was open to my wife, and so when she asked me to do things, I was willing to do those things. Mm -hmm. And together, we kind of learned the process, and then we asked people questions. You know, don't try to do this alone. Whatever you're struggling with, reach out to your mother, your daddy, reach out to an older couple, reach out to someone that's had a child three years older than yours, and ask questions, because we can learn from each other. Uh, So I think the openness to learn was there for me, and I did learn as we went along. And we made mistakes, to be sure. But, you know, when I look back on it, I'm so grateful that the kids are grown now, and they're both walking with God, and they're doing good things for God. And That's the goal. Yeah, that's the joy, ultimate joy of raising children. Uh, John said that, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Yeah, He was talking about spiritual children, but I'm talking about our physical children. Yeah, no, it's good stuff. And that's what's on the, the heart of every parent. Yeah. Is they want good things for their children that way. Uh, let me move back again to that feeling because um, it's important to me to bring that wisdom down to a younger and younger age like we talked about. I would have loved to have had this conversation with you when I was 30 and trying to figure out my wife still. You know, we'd been married five years at that point. But uh, in the book, you talk about organization and some people not being organized. I think for me, that's been one of the things I tend to like neat and tidy. And, you know, when especially if uh, the spouse is at home and trying to keep things organized, it's overwhelming. I think if you're working outside the home, and I know in today's culture, it goes either way, and I get that. Um, but one spouse in the home, one spouse outside the home, you can really let that boil under your skin. You're, you come yeah. home and there's all this chaos going on and you're going, my goodness, you've had eight, nine hours. I mean, you wouldn't say that, yeah. but you're thinking yeah. it and it plays through in your communication, maybe nonverbal, maybe like me, you were stupid enough to say something a few times. <laughs> um, but how do you relax as a, a younger person who hasn't lived a full life yet What triggers do you use to say, just chill out? Yeah. Well, I think we have to recognize, first of all, that uh, this is a team effort. We cannot depend on the mother to raise the child. You know, there's a reason why it takes a mother and a father to have a child. And the reason is that they're to be there for that child. That's the ideal. That's what we hope for. And as a father, I think we have to recognize We don't know what that mother's been through all day long and all the things that she's done. So we have to prepare ourselves that, yes, it may be messy when I get home, and I'm a part of this team. Mm 
So one of the things I'm going to ask is, honey, how can I help you? What can I do that would be helpful to you? Yeah. It's that openness, you know, and she will have ideas on what you can do to help her. But if we see it as a team effort, it's not that she does all the parenting and I do the work outside the home. No, no, no. We're doing this together. And the more a husband is open to that and ask his wife on how he can help her, the more likely they are to work together as a team. Uh, Gary, we've talked about that situation where there's a spouse that's able to be at home. What about the double income yeah. household, which is pretty normal today? Absolutely. You have yeah. both parents working yeah. and the kids are in daycare. How, how do they manage those things? Yeah, I think this is where a lot of other questions arise. You know, if we're going to both work outside the home, then who's going to take care of the children while we're working outside the home? And sometimes that can be extended family. You know, if grandparents are around, sometimes that's workable. Uh, if not, it's going to be a preschool at a church or an independent preschool. Uh, I think the key thing there is we really want to examine what's going on in that preschool, how it's run, make sure we're getting the best opportunity for our children to be learning while they're away from us. And then I think, obviously, the arrangement of who's going to pick up the child in the afternoon will, will depend somewhat on what our work schedule is. But one of us is going to pick up the child and go home. And when we get home, however, now it's our responsibility, and we want to work on that together. And let me just throw this out for husbands. You know, I think we're probably going to have to simplify our life. Mm. You can't go to the gym three days a week and play golf all day Saturday and, uh, and work, you know, long hours, and then when you're at home be on the computer all night. You're not going to be able to be a father and do all those things. So it's along the way we have to examine how do I simplify my life? What are some things that I maybe need to drop off for a while here while I'm raising a child? Uh, it's hard. It's sacrificial. No, but that's what love's all about. Loving yeah. a child is sacrifice. No, I appreciate that. Uh, this is the moment of truth, though. Have either of you ever forgotten your child at school? Not, you didn't pick him up. I mean, this is like a man thing. I don't know why. Come on. Have I don't you, think Gary, I ever, you ever forgot the, the child. Yeah, it's my ever... job to drop Zane off at school, and more than once I have driven right past the school. <laughs> On the pickup side? Yeah, no, just dropping them off in the morning. And he'll he'll be in the backseat saying, uh, Dad, were you going to, like, take me to school or am I going to work with you today? <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it can be kind of a fun moment if you smile about it. Yeah. Uh, Gary Chapman is our guest today on Focus on the Family, and we're talking about uh, the book that he wrote with Shannon Warden. It's called Things I Wish I'd Known Before We Became Parents. And uh, Jim, these are things I wish I could forget sometimes uh, along the way. I appreciate what you're saying, Gary, about uh, the husband-wife discussion about preschool. There, some of these decisions for new parents, you make it sound like, and I'm not saying you make it sound like, but it sounds like it could be so easy. I mean, how do we decide um, things like bedtimes and preschool arrangements? How do we have those conversations without reaching a flashpoint? Yeah. Well, I think, first of all, we, we both need to be open to the other's ideas, and we will have different ideas, no question about it, because we were raised in different families. But I think beyond our own conversation, this is where it's helpful to talk to other couples and get ideas from others on how they have handled this. And then you bring that into the discussion, and the two of you make the decision. Obviously, it's your decision. It's your child. So you make those decisions. Uh, but getting all the input you can from others can be very, very helpful in making the best decision for your child. Uh, Gary, you had two children, and uh, I have two. So you have the one, the first one, and things flow a certain direction. And then number two comes along, and it's different. I yeah. mean, there's, it's just different. <laughs> And Jean had a great line one time. She said, well, no child's ever born into the same family. 
And it's true because you're <laughs> either true. the family of three or the family of four. It's never the same family. Yeah. Yeah. And ha- tell us the differences and how, as parents, we need to relax about these differences yeah. that Johnny and Susie are not going to be the same type of child. Yeah. Well, you know, that's so true. Our daughter could have raised herself. I mean, she was so compliant, you know, she just, she slept and she did the right things and all. And Carolyn had said earlier, she'd like to have five boys. You know? <laughs> and I was in love at the time before we got married. And I said, fine, baby, whatever you want. Uh, so, well, our second one was a boy. The first one was a girl. Uh, second one was a boy. He came along, you know, and it wasn't very long along the journey. Carolyn said, you know, I think one of each is probably enough. <laughs> <laughs> but they were very, very, very different. Yeah. And they oh, are yeah. different as adults. And uh, this is one of the points we make in the book is that no two children are alike. And we tend to compare babies. You know, even when the baby is born, what do the mothers ask? Now, the guys don't mess with this, but the mothers say, now, how much did the baby weigh and how long was yeah, the baby, the guys you know? Yeah, right. Oh, that was a little <laughs> bit bigger than my baby or a little bit like, Yeah, we were already comparing, right? How there, tall you know? is he? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's natural, I think, to compare. Uh, and particularly if you have two children in the same family, we tend to compare them. But we're going down the wrong road when we do that. God made each of us unique, and our children are going to be unique, and we have to relate to them as a person. How how quickly as a parent do you need to recognize those differences in your child and and even then begin to stay true in the center in terms of your parenting on principles and conviction, but, you know, uh, adapt to the child's personality so that they can connect to what you're saying? Does that make sense? Yeah, and, and and it starts rather early. You know, you begin to see personality differences. For example, even in terms of activity. One child will be much more active. They're just reaching out and touching everything and doing it. And <laughs> another may be content just to sit there. And you wonder, well, was well, something wrong here? Yes. You know, they're not responding like the other child did. So you, you can see some of these personality differences uh, right along the way. And some are more resistant. You know, some will push back more than others will push back. Uh, so these things begin to emerge. And if we just keep our eyes open and recognize them and don't think that there's something wrong with the child because they're not like the other child, they're being who they are, and we have to learn to relate to them. But they all need basic fundamental principles yeah. and teachings and boundaries and all of that. The core stuff. Yeah. But I've seen that in my boys. You just you have to, to approach things slightly differently. And it probably took me too long to figure that out mm-hmm. as a dad. And I'm sure for moms it's the same as well. You just can't use the same uh, template yeah. with each child, and that's what you're saying. Yeah. Um, that comparison game, I love... Uh, I remember we went to the pediatrician. We had a funny pediatrician. He had more fun with us, just toying with us as parents. So uh, Gene, one of the kids, took a little longer potty training. And so Gene was conveying this to the pediatrician mm-hmm. and saying, you know, this one's just not potty training that fast. And yeah. he looked at her and said, you know, Gene, I can appreciate your uh, concern, but I don't see many 14-year-olds in here wearing diapers, you know. (laughs) So he'll figure it out. Don't be overwhelmed by it. And it was a great statement. And I think probably that's true, mostly moms who are worried because they're seeing their girlfriend's kids are advancing at a different Mm -hmm. rate. And that's normal that you'll have some variance in early development, right? Yeah. 
And then, you know, you'll hear a parent who says that they trained their child to potty, go to the potty in two or three weeks. <laughs> right. I, would, I wouldn't believe Everybody's that if I were you. <laughs> and we're all taking notes. But it, maybe it did failed. happen for them, but it's going to be more like three to five months for you. So, <laughs> And then the one that uh, is not potty training quickly says, but recent research shows that they'll be better readers <laughs> if they potty train later. <laughs> I love that we all come up with that. There's our, a justification yeah, in there. Yeah, there really is. Well, you know, one of the problems is that we start too early in the potty training thing because we want to get them on the potty. You know, <laughs> right. so we try too early and they're yeah. not ready for it. Yeah. So you have to wait till they begin to give you some signals that they're ready for it. You know? <laughs> Dr. Chapman, do you find that that phrase start too early characterizes a lot for first time parents? I mean, for me, that was the case. I think we wanted to earlier is better, yeah. but it's not always the case. Right? Earlier means smarter. Exactly. Better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think in all their development, we have to recognize that you know, this child is developing at a normal rate, and we're going to cooperate with God in the way God made this child. And uh, so, you know, that's the key, is to not to force your idea of what their development ought to be like. It's okay to read development books about what's supposed to happen at certain times and all of that, and that's good, but just don't try to put your child into that mold because they may not be in that mold. Right, and it's not dangerous, that's the point. You're not losing ground. Um, Gary, in your book, Things I Wish I'd Known Before We Became Parents, you also talk about the importance of emotional health in the lives of our children. I think we all think of those things as parents. I don't know if we exactly know what to do to help them emotionally. Physically, we want them to eat right. We don't want them to eat much or any sugar. But you can be, as a new parent, very intent on nutrition and stumbling or bumbling when it comes to emotional nutrition. What does it look like? Yeah, and I think this is really important that we tend to think that, you know, emotions just take care of themselves because a lot of us are not in touch with our emotions. Hmm. But we we want that. Let's just start with the thing of empathy. We want that child to learn how to hear the emotions of another person and be able to identify whether it's a negative uh, hurt or whether it's a joy. Uh, So how do you do that? Well, one thing is helping the child learn how to identify their own emotions. And this can start rather early. You know, so the parent says to the child, it it sounds like you're feeling disappointed because you can't go out and play because it's raining. Disappointed. That's a feeling, okay? Uh So you're identifying a feeling for them. Rather than just get in here because I told you to. And a little while later, you'll hear the child say, I'm disappointed. You see, they've now come to recognize that emotion and attach a name to it. So you start early with the child with that sort of thing. And when we do, we're, we're helping that child develop their emotions. The whole thing, anger is an emotion, you know. And so the mother says, sounds to me like you're really angry about that. Yeah. Well, and then the child will later say, I'm angry about that. So they're identifying their emotions, and they will be able to identify emotions in other people. Can I throw a landmine into this discussion at this point? When you have the teenagers and you're seeing behavior that is uh, unhealthy, how much, do you, as a parent, how much mm. should you own of that? I mean, we, we go both directions. We yeah. either own it all or we say, yeah. well, you know what, it's just the personality. I, ha- I didn't have much to work with. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I really, I'm asking that question yeah. because I think we undervalue those early years and how we train them in yeah. the way that, yeah. so if they're expressing anger as a teenager, it's possible that you overdid it when they were little yeah. and we've got to own it. 
Yeah. Yeah, I think there's there's both sides of that. You know, there's the reality that much of what a teenager does, they learn from us. I remember when our son was yelling and screaming at me, and it dawned on me, I was yelling and screaming at him. Right. And that was a big moment for me. And we together had to learn how to work through the whole anger thing. Uh, because many of us as parents have not handled our anger very well. And whether it's been angry expressed to the child in a negative way or expressed to a spouse in a negative way, the child's seen that. They grew up with that. And now they're handling their anger the way that we yeah. handle our anger. So uh, and at that juncture, then we have to learn together. And yeah. that's what I said to my son. You know, Derek, why don't we try to learn when we're angry to sit down and listen rather than yelling at each other. Mm. And that was the beginning of a whole new learning experience for both of us. No, that is so good. And maybe that's a place to pick up next time. Uh, Gary, this has been a great conversation. I hope for particularly those uh, new parents or the parent-to-be, I mean, they found out this is it, or they're planning to have a child. Uh, maybe even your kids are three, four, five years old. This is still wonderful content for you to apply. And uh, I hope we have met our commitment to give you some thought and um, allow you to ponder your parenting practices or your future parenting practices in the way it should be done. That's why Focus is here. It's what we're here to do is equip you to be the best parent you could be. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for listening. I'm John Fuller inviting you back next time as we once again help you and your family thrive. Gary Chapman was speaking today, I found myself nodding my head in agreement of everything he was saying. I found so much of what Gary said to be true in my own experience of being married and then having children. I want to reiterate that dads need to know that raising kids is a team effort and that even if we're working hard to support the family, when we're in the home, we need to be present and available to help and offer guidance to our children. Gary's co-authored book is called Things I Wish I'd Known Before We Became Parents. And it's a must read for parents expecting a child, as well as those who want to glean from the wisdom of others who've gone before. It offers practical advice on everything from potty training to scheduling, apologizing to your child, and keeping your marriage strong, all the while celebrating the great joy that children bring. Find that online at safamily.co.za or give us a call on 031-716-3300. You know, in just one year, more than 9,300 moms and dads credit us with helping them build stronger, healthier, and more God-honoring families. You can be a part of that. Either join as a monthly partner or with a one-time gift. It all goes to helping to strengthen other people's lives, their marriages and families, and their commitment to Christ. You'll also be joining Focus on the Family's Give the Gift of Family campaign. You can make your donation online at safamily.co.za. You can also send us your contribution via EFT. All the details are on our website. I'm grateful, and I want to say thank you for helping us. Well, we're only halfway through our program with Gary Chapman, so I do hope you'll join us for the conclusion tomorrow. For Focus on the Family Africa, I'm Graham Schnell, inviting you back then when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.